0: Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Four years ago, I had the opportunity to go on a short visit to Cuba as things were opening up there and visited with my brother, the only Lutheran church in Havana, and uh, I travel with my brother, who's then able to go back, along with my dad, who's, uh, and preached at the church, and it's Pastor Carlos Rojo, served there for a very long time. He went from ardent communist atheist in college to Lutheran pastor of a church that meets in his one-stall garage, St. Paul's Lutheran Church. And some of you have heard me tell the story before of the day we left to come back home. So we woke up early, 6 a.m., which is early for me. I think that's early no matter what. So. Uh, and we ate a quick breakfast before getting our bags, and we had to walk a, a good little walk to go find a taxi and then t- take a good little taxi ride to get to the bus station. Then we had to take a bus for two and a half hours because we got a cheap ticket to an airport farther away. So we got all the way to the bus station with plenty of time, well over an hour early, and needed to get a ticket. So we walk in and ask the first person at, sitting at a desk, hey, where can we buy a ticket, which just starts the process, because in a communist country, you can never get what you need from the first person you talk to. And so she sends us down the hall to the main departure hall, and it's early, and it's already hot and sticky in there. And there's people, a few people around, not many, sitting in seats waiting for uh, buses to come, and then there's a man at a desk with a computer. So walk up to the guy with, sitting by the computer and said, hey, uh, in my broken Spanish, hey, I need to buy a ticket to, you know, air, this airport city. Uh, and with no expression, you know, ice cold face, he kind of mumbled in Spanish that I only could partly get, but he said, basically, you can't buy a, a ticket from me right here. You have to buy it at the desk next to me. One problem, there's nobody at the desk next to him. <laughs> so, okay, really? I, like, are you sure? Yep, this is the desk. I only can sell to uh, Cuban nationals, international passports. gotta. Well, there's nobody here. Can, well, somebody will come and you can buy a ticket. Oh, okay, thank you. So my brother and I, well, nobody's around, but we're going to wait. We're standing right in front of the desk, and I'm not going anywhere. We're going to get on the bus whenever it comes. So we wait, and wait, and keep waiting, and eventually I mean, a long time goes by. We're just watching the clock go. And, and finally, you know, they were the only two standing there, kind of hovering over the desk. Eventually, they, they sent somebody. A lady came and sat down at the desk, and she kind of starts poking on the, on the keyboard. And then nothing happens. She never doesn't, we say hi, she doesn't really talk to us, and, and keeps poking at it. And, nothing, and then kind of gets uh, pokes at the keyboard, gets some furrowed eyebrows. And then, and then I can see, though, because there's glass behind her, what's going on on the screen. And it's just like the Windows 98 or 2000 login screen. So there's just a login screen while she's poking and pr- like either can't log in or just, I don't know. And then eventually she jiggles with the cords and says, well, I can't log in. I'm having trouble. I'm like, OK, OK. And then, and then eventually we see what we know is our bus pull into the station. And we can see it. And it's right there. And, and time's just going and nothing's happening. We're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Well, uh, after a very long time of standing there sweating and waiting and nothing happening, then uh, somebody else comes to us and says, you can't buy a ticket from this desk. You're going to have to buy a ticket from guess where? The first desk where there's the guy sitting there and there's a huge line of people now that have gotten in line to buy their ticket. Uh, really? Are you, are you serious? You... Yes. So I just turned with my passport and money in, uh, to the... Even though there's a big line, I just turned and said, you know, I need a ticket on that bus. To, it's leaving soon. And then uproar because all the people behind think we're cutting in line, so they're yelling at us in Spanish, which I totally pretend to not know anything. Uh, and, and then, you know, kind of like, no, we, we need to be on. It's going to leave soon. And, and then somebody else comes and fixes a stapler and, you know, nothing is happening. A- and then eventually they say, Uh, well, when he helps all these other people, we stand there. Then then somebody says to us, I'm sorry, the bus is full. Well, it wasn't full. You could see it, and there was, you know, lots. uh, And then the bus left. By the way, I'm here, so we got, we scrambled and found another way and shared a taxi with complete strangers, very safe, I know. Uh, But it was after all of this, you know, we're like, uh, what do we do now? My brother turned to me and just said, well, welcome to communism. (laughs) Like, okay. Well, we were the first ones there and waited, and we waited in line well over an hour and waited at an empty desk while no one would help us, and then our bus eventually leaves without us while we're still stuck, sweating and waiting, waiting. Have you been there with God? Have you waited? That's what Malachi is going to teach us today. What is it like when you have had to wait like that on God? What does it feel like? Have you ever waited on God and it just felt like you were waiting at an empty desk? You're praying and, and God, where are you? Is anyone coming? Are you coming? Are you answering? Or, or then you, you're waiting on God, which feels like an empty desk, and then you're just told the bus is full and it's leaving. And have you ever waited on God and it felt like maybe God was attending to everyone else's needs in line, and yet you're just standing there sweating and waiting? Well, I think that waiting on God is one of the hardest things about living under God's care. Because waiting, more than anything else, puts our faith to the test. You might even say faith is waiting. Do you know what it feels like to have to wait on Well, last week we looked at the first part of Malachi, and Malachi taught us, as we are wrapping up our series on Malachi, Malachi taught us this, trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it. I love how Psalm 40 says it, Uh, the psalmist writes and calls us into deeper faith, saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned, he inclined his ear to me, turned to me and heard my cry, and he drew me up. From a pit of destruction, he set my feet on a rock, made my steps sure. He put a new song in my mouth. And this closes by saying, blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust. Trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it. But it is not easy, is it? So as we wrap up Malachi, we are getting to the not just the last of what we've done this summer. We've gone through the 12 minor or shorter prophets. Malachi's the last of the 12. He's also the last of the 39 books of what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible or the BC Scriptures, and they are nearly three-quarters of the entire Bible. And Malachi's the very last one. And after that, then, after Malachi, there's about a 400-year gap until the birth of Jesus, until Matthew. So Malachi wraps up the 12, but wraps up the whole Old Testament, and then in that, it's called intertestamental, that's, if you read the Apocrypha, that's where that stuff deals with, which is really interesting. But this summer, we've done the 12, and so we've started with Hosea, and then ended with Malachi, and even the way they're, they're put together, those 12 are their own kind of book and section. If you remember, all the way back to how Hosea started, because that's how God wants you to read All the others, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Naim, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. All of those start with Hosea and Hosea's story of his marriage to Gomer. So Hosea marries Gomer who ends up being unfaithful and God says, this is like me and my people. God says, I've been faithful to my people, the Israelites, and, and you have walked away and been unfaithful to me. And God is heartbroken because he loves his people, but yet he will never abandon them. And so then you're supposed to see that story and read all the rest with all the other prophets and God's people walking away, and and God still loves them even though he's heartbroken and still comes to save them. And now you get to Malachi, and he kind of wraps it up. Well, how does Malachi wrap up the 12 and the Old Testament? He wraps it up in part this way, chapter 4, verse 4. It says, remember my law of my servant Moses, a long time ago. And the statutes and rules that I command him at Horeb for all Israel, that's Mount Sinai, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So as Malachi ends the Old Testament, he summarizes God's will by saying, obey the Ten Commandments. You are God's chosen, saved people after everything he's done for you live this way. And and then he looks forward to the future when God will do something even more powerful and send the Messiah. But in here, Malachi mentions two names of characters we've already met in the Bible. Who are the two names he he mentions? He mentions Moses and Elijah, right? So Moses given the Ten Commandments at Sinai, and then Elijah was the great prophet. And Malachi is kind of leaving clues for you to look there and later in the Bible. So Malachi says Elijah will prepare the way before the great day when the Lord comes. And then if you turn pages a few pages later into Matthew, you have somebody who comes on the scene who's described identically like Elijah in the Bible, looks like Elijah, talks like Elijah, and says prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming. And that person we know of as John, John the baptizer, And then he looks at Jesus, when he sees Jesus, and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, here he is. So that's Elijah. Now, Moses and Elijah, though, appear together in a story in the New Testament. Where do they appear together? Jesus takes his disciples, three of them, all the way up onto a mountain, and he is transfigured before them, Mount of Transfiguration. They get this glimpse of Jesus' true glory, for who He really is, just for a moment that shows Him to be the Messiah who has come to save His people. So, what that means is, Micah in the last, or Malachi, sorry, in the last few verses of his book is leaving you clues. So, when you come back and read the New Testament, you say, "Oh, wow! Jesus really is it. Here He is. Our, our Savior has come." but now I want to get back to this business of waiting. The Israelites did a lot of waiting on God. I've shown this to you a few times, and we place Malachi at the arrow right before silence, that is 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you think of the story of God's people, they have done a lot of waiting on God, haven't they? the very beginning, Adam and Eve, creation, the world breaks when they break it by their disobedience and sin shatters everything. Yet even in that moment, God promises a Savior, but Adam and Eve died waiting for the Savior. And then Abraham and Sarah come along, and they're promised to be a great nation of many descendants, but they were told that promise decades before they had any children. They waited. And then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph and the 12 tribes. God loves his people. God was faithful. But the Messiah hadn't come yet through any of them. They waited. And then they end up as slaves in Egypt for almost 400 years, crying out to God and waiting. And then, yes, God did save them through Moses and brought them out. But then they had to wait even longer to get into the promised land. They waited 40 years. And then they get into the promised land led by Joshua. But the Messiah still had not yet come. And then you get to Judges up there, by that's the gavel, they, they lose faith and walk away. And then you have the kings, Saul, David, Solomon, to start. God promised a Messiah through David's line, but that Messiah was still a thousand years away, so they waited. And then there were a lot of bad kings and bad leadership, and eventually the north and southern kingdoms were in exile to Babylon and Assyria, and they're waiting on God to even go back to their own homes. And then they do... We looked at Haggai and Zechariah in the last number of weeks, and they get to rebuild, rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem, but it's just not as good as it was, and so they're still waiting on God. So by the time you even get to Malachi, God's people have waited for a really long time already. You see, God made promises to save them, and he saved them in part and in certain ways, but they're still waiting. They look around, and life doesn't look that good, and and. They have trouble waiting on God, and so they they live for themselves. And even though God's people weren't faithful, God always is. And I think that's so important for you and I to remember. When you and I aren't faithful, God still is. When you and I are unloving, God still is loving. When you and I aren't forgiving to others, God still is forgiving. Because it's God who always keeps his promises. Trusting a trustworthy God is worth it. God is the one who keeps His promises, even though He may seem late. Often does seem late to us. And God might make you wait a long time, but God keeps His promises. So after Malachi, you get to the very next page of the Bible, and it's Matthew, and it begins the story of Jesus, the Savior who has come for you. And after they waited a long, long, long time, God keeps His promise. And so I love how Galatians talks about the moment of Jesus coming. He's, uh, Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the exact set perfect time had fully come, God sent his Son for you. Not early, not late, but at just the right time. Or Romans 5, it says, at, says that at the right time, at just the right time, when you and I were still powerless, Christ died for you, for the ungodly it is true trusting a trustworthy god is always worth it but here's the thing i know that some of you have been waiting for a long time for many things some of you've been waiting for god to answer your prayer and you feel like you've been praying for years and years and years and you're still waiting and some of you are waiting for your loved one to come back to jesus Or some of you have been depressed for a really long time and you're waiting for God to do something. Or you've been fighting your illness for far too long and you're just waiting for your body to heal. Or some of you are lonely and you want to get married, so you're tempted to rush into something that's not good for you and not godly, but time's ticking and waiting on God is hard. Or some of you are are just a few years from retirement, yet you've been checked out for five years already, but you can't afford to retire, so you're just there waiting. Or I know some of you've lived or feel like you've lived a long, good life, yet most of your loved ones near to you are, are gone, and so you're waiting for the Lord to take you. I think we're all waiting for something. And some of you I know have been waiting a really long time. And the truth is, I don't know when God will answer you. And I don't know how God will answer you. But I do believe that trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it, even if you have to wait a long time. It's true. God has come to you. Jesus has come to save you. And Jesus shows you that God loves you more than you'll ever know. And Jesus, hanging on the cross and his pain on the cross, shows you That he loves you more than you'll ever know. And it's that love that kept him there when he could have walked away. God is faithful and God is with you even as you wait. So Malachi also has some of these words that we also read in chapter 4 as he ends. And some of them are our judgment about, we've talked about the day, the day of the Lord coming. Which all evil will end, that's a good thing. For those in God, but those that are doing evil, that's not a good thing. So God says, for you in faith, that's a good thing. Don't fear that. It's good. God will come and wipe away every tear from your eye. But here's how Malachi says it. I love it. For behold, that day is coming. The day is coming and it shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you, for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. That's what God says to his people, to to you. For you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing. Like Hebrews 11, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we just can't see yet. It's true, waiting on God is not easy, but it's worth it. Because God is faithful. Jesus has come for you, and he promises he will come again for you to make all things right and perfect. And in the meantime, he says, trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it. If you can read it, say that with me. Trusting a trustworthy God is worth it. Amen.